Oliver versus Makachev, main event of the evening. A fantastic fight, what people have been calling for for quite a while now. It's as good as it gets. I do think there's betting value on Charles. I, I don't think he should be as big a betting underdog as he is right now. What is happening, everyone? We are back again, but today we have a very special episode. It's not really, it's chat and pony. It's not really a chat and pony, because we're chat and pony about the latest UFC, what's coming out. It's going to be a little preview show for you, so UFC 280. It's an amazing main card, but guess who I've got on the on the FaceTime here? Who's going to talk, discuss it with us? It's only big John Anik. So introduce yourself, John. A man. <laughs> oh, it is great to be with you, brother. You're one of the few guys that I would break away during a pay-per-view week to talk to. Let's be clear about that. So I appreciate you pushing things back a little bit. I just left the UFC 280 press conference. It's electric here in Abu Dhabi. We're only missing Patty Pimlet. Other, other than that, it's all systems go, my man. Yeah, I've, we've just been talking about it there. You've just been the, the person in the middle of the face-offs, and there was a few little pushes and shoves. <laughs> What's it like being stood in the middle there? Yeah, do, do you feel like you need to do something there? Well, yeah, I mean, I certainly <laughs> felt like I reacted fairly quickly, but Hunter Campbell came up to me right after that stare down. And if you didn't see it, Piotr Jan right at the end, quick shove right in the chest of Sean O'Malley. And Hunter Campbell came up and he's like, Johnny, you got to get closer on the next fight. So I made sure for Aljamain Sterling and TJ Dillashaw that I got a little bit closer. But yes, I mean, I love being in the belly of the beast, as you know. I don't get an opportunity to do stare downs all that often, but... It's just intense, and uh, like the in- the intensity between Charles Oliveira and Islam Makhachev was incredible to see from two feet away. So we're raring to go, my man, as you know. Well, as you've just said, Oliveira versus Makhachev, main event of the evening. You might as well open up on that. It's a fantastic fight, what people have been calling for for quite a while now. So I can't wait to see it, to be honest. And it's, it's, it's not in Islam's backyard, but it is, you know what I mean? Charles is coming into enemy territory. Yeah, no, it is. It feels like it's Islam Akashev's backyard. The Brazilians seem to have traveled well, though. There's a lot of American and Brazilian representation here, so we'll see exactly where the crowd is on Saturday night. But obviously, this is the belt in your division, so I know you'll be watching with a keen interest. And it's the first time in UFC history where we've had two guys with double-digit winning streaks compete for a UFC championship. So I think when you look at the body of work for both of these guys... It's as good as it gets. Like, promotionally, the UFC cuts my check, Patty. So this may sound like promotional hyperbole. But I'm not sure at 155 pounds or in any division, like, we can put a better matchup on paper. And I'm glad I'm calling the fight and don't have to give a prediction because I truly think this could go either way. And that being said, I do think there's betting value on Charles. I I don't think he should be as big a betting underdog as he is right now. I cannot believe he's the underdog. I just don't understand it. Like, the people that we've finished in a row... What he done to Tony? You know what I mean? It's I don't understand though. He's the underdog. Like without, like I'm trying to be fair. You know what I mean? I want Charles to win. I like Charles. He's one of my favorite fighters to watch. He's he's brilliant. But yeah. the only way I see Islam winning is literally if he sits on top of him for five rounds. And I don't see anyone doing that yeah, to no, Charles. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, and he's certainly, yeah, I don't either. And Makashev certainly has a lot of nuances in his grappling game. And, you know, the Dagestani handcuff and the Dagestani mermaid when they lock up the legs. But Charles Oliveira, I don't have to tell you, is is a totally different animal than anyone that Islam Makashev has faced. And if Charles has had any criticism publicly of Islam, it's just about his strength of schedule. He believes he should have had to fight a top five guy or two in order to get this championship opportunity. But essentially, Patty, like when they're setting a betting line, 
they're trying to draw two-way action from the public. So you and I can sit here and say, why is Charles Oliveira plus 165? But ultimately, they're getting two-way action on the fight. They're getting people to bet on both sides because if everybody was betting on Charles, the betting line would change. So line hasn't moved a whole lot, um, but I think Charles is a live underdog, and that's about all I can – that's about as far as I can go as the guy who's calling the fight. Yeah, and I personally, I have picked Charles, you know what I mean? So from my point of view, I think Charles will get the finish in, say, three rounds. But I seen him in an interview yesterday say I'm going to knock him out in one. But I think if it goes to decision, yeah. it's Makachev. If it's going to be a finish, it's going to be Charles. But I'm going for Charles personally. I just think he's fought a higher caliber of opponent. So he, he knows how to get through these hard times. Because well, Islam will take him down, 100%. He'll get him down. Yeah, no, I think you set it up well. I do think Islam Makachev at some point will be able to take Charles Oliveira down. But I think a lot of Charles's confidence is rooted in the strength of schedule and just the wealth of UFC experience, which you sort of laid out. So, yeah, I think Charles is buoyed by that. He had 30 people in the fighter meeting today, bro. I mean, literally brought the entire team into the fighter meeting. These guys have been so forged together by Charles's success. And, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's like if I'm trying to bet this fight or bet on UFC 280, like I'm looking for another fight. Like this main event, to me, I would just lay off and enjoy the action and find another opportunity on the board. I think it's a fascinating fight. And I guess the UFC historian in me would like to see Charles get it done just because of the nature of his last fight. I kind of felt like he got hosed by the commission, if I'm being honest. So, you know, I would like to see Charles, uh, you know, continue his reign. But Islam's going to have a lot to say about that. Yeah, and I've personally said that, to be honest, John, they might be fighting for a vacant title, but really this is Oliveira's third title defense. Technically, I don't care what anyone says. But yeah, my pick, right. Charles Oliveira. If you just want to bet with me, you don't have to, though. I, I don't mind. You know what I mean? Bet, with it, bet however way you want. <laughs> but next fight, co-main events, we've got Al Joe versus TJ Dillashaw. And this is another one, like old school versus new school. Yeah, I think Aljamain Sterling is underappreciated in terms of his body of work. And I know you're a willing and able grappler, so you understand just how good he is in that realm. Yeah. He's absolutely enormous for 135 pounds. He did walk into our fighter meeting today. He was our first meeting, Patty, and he was tired. Like, his energy came on during the meeting, but when he first walked in the room, I was concerned. He had a much better disposition about him at the press conference, and so I'm less concerned. But make no mistake about it, this is a difficult cut down to 135 pounds for Aljamain Sterling. I do think you'll see him at featherweight before his UFC career is said and done. I guess for me, there are more variables and more unknowns on the Dillashaw side, right? He's 36 years old. He did acknowledge that he has had to train smarter and focus on recoverability and things like that a little bit at this stage of his career. Obviously, he hasn't fought all that often, right? The suspension followed by the Sandhagen fight, which was a great result, but he went into surgery like 24 hours after the Sandhagen result. So it's not as though he was able to get sustained training, which has a lot of value. But yeah, certainly I see a striking advantage for Dillashaw, but I see a decided grappling advantage for Aljamain Sterling, and not a lot of people see it that way. A lot of people think Dillashaw's ground game is underrated, and I would give you that. But I just think Aljo is a totally different animal down there in terms of the physicality, the strength, the positioning, the human backpack, all of that. I think Dillashaw needs needs a kickboxing match in order to realize success Saturday. I really do. Yeah, and I'm, I'm 100% agreeing with you there. I think Aljo gets underrated because of obviously how he won the title against Peter Yan. People still look past him, but he won the rematch, so you can't. He's, he's the bantamweight champion of the world. It's that simple, and I... I'm leaning towards the side of Aljo, to be honest. As you say, TJ's 36 now. He's getting a bit older. Um, 
we don't know really what he's going to be like in a five-round grappling match and I think that's what Aljo's going to make it. He's going to try and get on his back and submit him and I think he could end up winning the decision, to be honest. We talked to Aljamain in the fighter meeting about just the wrestling, right? And it seems as though TJ obviously is a Division One wrestler. Aljo was 87-27 and 27 as a Division Three All-American. But wrestling in MMA, and again, I don't have to tell you this, but to your audience, right, it's a totally different animal. Like, we asked Aljo if he was wrestling TJ, and he thinks he would just murk the guy. Like, he, he thinks it would be a no contest. And if you're asking me if those guys put singlets on, I do give the advantage right now to Aljamain Sterling just relative to where he is at in his athletic career. Seems to me to be the more prime, primal guy right now. I'm really curious to see what we get out of TJ Dillashaw. And even though he's lost the respect of a lot of his peers, I think his peers like yourself still appreciate the skill set of TJ Dillashaw. They still acknowledge the hard work. They know he has heart. I just don't particularly like the matchup for him. If indeed it's a grappling match for 25 minutes, and I do believe that Aljo is going to realize success and be able to take Dillashaw down and... We'll see if TJ tries to mix in some of his offensive wrestling. But I do think for Dillashaw, striking advantage, got to find a way to keep it there. And that's obviously easier said than done. Yeah, much easier said than done. Personally, I, once again, I'm going I'm going for Aljo. I think he could get a decision here by taking TJ down relentlessly. And obviously, I've got to pick against TJ, lad. He was calling me fat the other week. Cheeky bastard. Oh, you know what I mean? I mean, he got prints got, got to pick against him. Fat Tyler. I don't know. Have you ever seen TJ's T-shirts? He that's, prints that's T-shirts. That's what I tweeted back, Tyler. John. That's what I tweeted back. <laughs> you had T-shirts Good. years ago called Fat Tyler. What are you talking about, you hypocrite? So, ah, <laughs> uh, well. But yeah. yeah, next fight on the card, we've got fan favourite, Sean O'Malley, but he's taking a big step up in competition this time and fighting Peter Yan. I never, ever thought I'd see this fight get put together so soon I thought we'd be another year or 18 months down the line you'd see a fight like this yeah it's interesting right the backdrop to this fight it seems as though Piotr Jan had an opportunity to fight Marlon Chido Vera in a main event in August didn't want that fight for whatever reason that fight went to Dominic Cruz and then the Sean O'Malley fight materialized and surfaced for Piotr Jan and I think as far as Jan's concerned what he said to us today Patty I'm the number one contender I need one win, and I'm getting back into a championship setting. And Dana White has all but guaranteed that the winner of Sean O'Malley and Piotr Jan is going to fight the winner of Aljamain Sterling and TJ Dillashaw as this sort of mini bantamweight tournament plays out. So the upside in this fight for Jan is twofold. Obviously, O'Malley moves a lot of needles. I don't have to tell you. I mean, internally, in terms of the metrics, you know, he drives the pay-per-view, and that's exciting for Piotr Jan to be able to showcase his skills against a guy that everybody is watching And then just fighting anybody who is ranked, he feels like a win is going to be enough. On the O'Malley side, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like if you look at the top seven, this is one of the better matchups for Sean. Even though we have seen Jan mix in his wrestling at times, you know, I think Piotr Jan wants to strike, and he's going to have to navigate the length and and the timing and the accuracy of Sean O'Malley. I think there's value on O'Malley, man, plus 275 or so, but... um, Piotr Jan, when he is on, I would say to you, I think when Jan is on, he's the best 135-pound fighter in the world. He wasn't on, though, in his last fight against Aljo. We'll see if he is Saturday night. I would agree with you on that. He's the best 135 in the world on his day, 100%. I personally think, though, it's a it's a win-win for O'Malley because like, yeah. a lot of people are just expecting him to lose. Oh, he's fighting number rank one in the world, Peter Jan. You know what I mean? Of course. He, he, like he's going into it like people think he could lose so 
he's going into it if he wins it's a hardy won but if he loses people are like oh he's going to lose anyway yeah one other thing that I thought was interesting too in terms of the fighter meetings that Piotr Jan acknowledged Sean O'Malley as a more dangerous guy than Corey Sandhagen and I thought that was pretty interesting you know Piotr Jan certainly is not resting on his laurels he's not sleeping on this challenge he understands how good Sean O'Malley is in terms of his striking his distance management I actually think O'Malley's grappling is underrated he hasn't had a whole lot of opportunities to showcase it up to this point but yeah I mean I think you hit on a truth there like I don't know that there's much downside for Sean O'Malley certainly it would be hard to expedite a title run if he loses to Piotr Jan but you're right you fight the number one contender not a lot of people are giving you a shot to win this fight. And given his star power, not unlike present company Patty Pimblett, I think Sean O'Malley is going to be a pay-per-view mainstay, fighting guys in the top 10 for years to come. So a lot of people think this fight is too much too soon. I don't think it's that. You know, I think Sean O'Malley's career has sort of built foundationally the right way. Like, I think he's ready to test himself against this division's elite, and uh, we'll see how it goes for him, man. Yeah, he is, as you know, it's always one punch, everyone's one punch away for finishing a fight, and Sean's got power in his hands for the 135er, real power. Yeah, I mean, he sort of talks his own power down a little bit, you know, he feels like it's a byproduct of his speed and his timing, but I agree with you, man, and sometimes when I'm in these fighter meetings, I know I keep referencing them here on your show, but I do think there's so much value to extract from these fighter meetings. Sometimes I'll just look at an athlete's hands to see how big or small their hands are, you know, Dillashaw and Aljo got these tiny hands, you know, O'Malley's <laughs> long everywhere, like he's a big boy, you know, <laughs> long everywhere, but Sean's got big hands, man. He'll be he really obvious. Said that. And yeah, right. That's right. Right. Normally hand size and foot size is inexorably linked to size in other parts of the body. But yeah, I mean, Sean's a big boy for 135 pounds and seems to have gotten ahead of the weight cut as usual. He got here early, two weeks early. So uh, yeah, it's a great fight. Candidly, only heightened by what we saw at the press conference today with Jan shoving him. Yeah, that, that fight, to be honest, I really like Sean. So I don't want to pick against him. But I think Jan's going to win. So I'm not. I'm not giving you the line for that one. It's not happening. <laughs> Next fight, though, another See, lightweight fight. The best bout. part about my job, Patty, you the don't best have part to, about to my side. job is that I don't have to pick fights. The I last time I picked a that. fight was uh, this 209 tattoo on my arm. So, <laughs> yeah, we don't pick fights anymore. We just uh, try to navigate around it as best we can. He's got a tattoo to prove it as well, why he doesn't pick fights anymore. <laughs> Brilliant, that, you know. <laughs> and Patty Pimblett, Wins the UFC lightweight championship. I think we probably got to get some sort of Patty or Liverpool tattoo. So yeah, we'll, we'll a little make that lava bird. The, the lightweight championship. Like, right? As I say, a little yeah. lava bird. It'd, it'd be blend. People just like, oh, it's a bird. You know what I mean? I'd be like, no, it's a lava bird. <laughs> but yeah, ne- next fight on the card is uh, another lightweight title. I mean, not lightweight title. Another lightweight bout. And this is one of the I am going to be keeping my eyes on. I really like Cam uh, Rotmi. I've been watching. I've seen some of his fights from years ago in KSW, and I I really like him and I rate oh. him. I think he's very very good. And he, he's fighting Benil Darius, who again another top five lightweight in the world, and that's going to be a scrap. Yeah, I think this is the fight of the night. I think it has bonus money written all over it. You set it up well. People don't make enough of the KSW credentials for Mataj Gamrot. You know winning that lightweight title, defending it several times. Then they ask him to go down to featherweight, which he did one time, made the weight, won that belt, you know. 
I think this guy has every skill you would want. I think he looks like a future champion when he's on. His wrestling is outstanding. And Benil Daryush has been blown away by him, too. Like, I've never heard Benil Daryush be so complimentary about an opponent in my life. Benil usually keeps things pretty close to the vest, and he had a lot of superlatives, good ones, talking about Mataj Gamrot. So I think Benil understands what he's in for, but Daryush is just a fighter's fighter, man. I mean, he just absolutely loves fight night. We talk about a guy like George St. Pierre that hated fight night, right, with the anxiety and the pressure to perform. Some of these guys and women really enjoy fight night and I'm not sure anybody enjoys it as much as Benil Daryush but I do think he has to resist the temptation to to brawl at times which I think is his nature because he just wants to street fight at times and uh, throw caution to the wind but I think if this fight hits the canvas we could see some absolutely great transitions on both sides and uh, I don't think it's going the distance for whatever the hell it's worth I think they're going to go at it and I think one or the other is going to get the other man out of there and uh, you know Gamrot isn't the biggest lightweight in the world and so I thought it was interesting that he said when he saw Daryush in person he didn't think Badil was all that big and when you saw them at the stare down I think size wise Gamrot matches up pretty favorably so um, I was surprised that Mataj was a two-to-one favorite but perhaps maybe I am less surprised as I've been here over the last few days just absorbing everything here in Abu Dhabi yeah as you say he does love a bomb burner does Benil Daryush that fight with the Dakar close the ending of that is just ridiculous. That's just a, a war. Uh-huh. It's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, um, that was the, I mean, that was the meme that was repurposed around the world of me and Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier. Yeah, I mean, we thought we were about to call a Dracar Close knockout, and the next thing you know, Darius is knocking him out. It was nuts. One of the crazier rally back and forth fights I've ever called. What's it like commentating next to them two, lad? <laughs> that must be hilarious. DC uh, one side, wild, Joe Rogan man. the it other. Is. <laughs> it's great, you know, and... We're friends outside the octagon, which certainly I think helps the chemistry and everything else on fight night. But no, man, I mean, I got to pinch myself at times looking to my right and just seeing these absolute giants and legends. I remember the first time I called a fight with Joe Rogan in 2012 on short notice. It was UFC 155. I had been working for the company for about a year and I get a call three days out like, hey, man, Mike Goldberg can't make it. You're getting called up to the big leagues. I mean, dude, I was myself man I was freaking out but now I've been working with the guy for five or six years you know it's weird when your broadcast partner is like this unquestioned a-list celebrity that everybody wants a piece of you know like I joke to people like yeah my broadcast partner's more famous than yours to be sure but DC's one of my best friends in the world and uh you know I'm very thankful to have those two guys and I lean on them and their expertise and uh yeah I mean there are some broadcast booths right like if it's me and Dominic Cruz in the two-man booth if there's any comedy in that broadcast booth, like, it's coming from me. It's not coming from cruising. As much as I love the guy, like, he's not necessarily there for humor. So I've worked with, I think, 15 or 16 total combinations in 11 years with the UFC, and I try to sort of placate and have my style sort of dovetail with whatever the mix is. But certainly with Joe and DC, I'm not afraid to touch my top lip to my bottom lip and shut the hell up for six hours if need be and let those two guys shine. And I think any any good play-by-play guy will tell you if the analysts shine, it's a good broadcast. So try to let yeah, it Yeah, I, uh, I had my first go at commentating a couple of weeks ago on Cage Warriors in Rome. And right. it was meant to be a three-man team and the play-by-play commentator couldn't make it. So, oh God! Yeah, so Daniel Strauss, just two. Yeah, Daniel Strauss had to be the play-by-play commentator, and then I was the second commentator. But yeah, it went well. I, I proper wow. enjoyed it. 
who was good. Some very good fights to come and take on. So would you say the Drachar close? Yeah, there's nothing like... Oh, no, go on, John. Yeah, well, there's nothing qu- quite like live events, right? So, like, I cut my teeth in TV at ESPN headquarters in Bristol, Connecticut, and I do think whatever your walk of life is, like, it's important to realize, even within broadcasting, what do I like and what don't I like? Dude, I didn't like being in a studio in Bristol, Connecticut, five days a week. Like, all right, let me take you to Minnesota, first inning, Twins and Yankees. Like, I didn't want to be a highlight machine the rest of my life. The live events are where it's at. And even though I don't love being away from my kids 100 nights a year, like, I don't necessarily want to be in Abu Dhabi right now this far away, but this is my passion, this is my craft, and live events compared to studio work, there's no comparison for me. So, yeah, I mean, I think the the, the close Star Yush fight was, was as memorable a moment as we've had in that booth, and, um, you know, hopefully when Patty Pimblett's next fight is on pay-per-view, we'll have another one. Well... I promise you now, you're going to have a new gif. There'll be a new gif after I finish my opponent <laughs> on December 10th. Let's go. Of UDC and Rogan. Hopefully he gets flying triangle or something. We'll be ready to go. But yeah, obviously, as we've just said. It for you. <laughs> Daddy Yush face Gamrot. I, I think I'm going to agree with you there as well, John. I think that's got fight of the night written all over it. Because everyone's talking about the other fights and it's getting like look, look past a little bit. People are forgetting about it. Yeah, I think it's the most overlooked fight on the pay-per-view, to be sure. I guess you could say for Manon Fjord and Caitlin Chukagian, they're not getting a whole lot of shine, but they are the pay-per-view opener. And because the lightweight championship is on the line, and because Alexander Volkanovsky is here as a backup, I just think that Gamrod and Daryush has sort of fallen under the radar. So yeah, I think you put that well. I think those guys are going to steal the show. Yeah, same as flew under the radar, but perfectly set us on to our next fight. As you say, the pay-per-view opener, I don't want to get the names wrong. Caitlin Shukagian versus Manon. Nailed it. Fioro. No? Yeah, good enough. We we say Fior, so Fior. we just stop it. Manon Fior. Yeah, that's hard to Look say. At you. This guy's going to be doing UFC commentary, folks, before too long. You'll see. You know You'll that. See. You'll you see. You know that. Sitting next to you soon, lad. Dude, I got to say, man, I mean. I could listen to you Liverpoolians talk all day long. It doesn't even matter what you're talking about. I would listen to, I absolutely love listening to you in particular and all of your countrymen and women. My twin brother talks about it all the time. Like, we're from Boston where everybody hates our accent. Now, I don't have a strong twang because I didn't grow up in a part of the city where it was really prevalent. But your accent just brings all of us in, man. I hope you know that. Every last one of us Americans. Well, it's funny the way you say that because the rest of England hates us. They absolutely <laughs> hate I us bet. and hate I our bet. accent. Lad. I bet. I be- well, I believe it. Absolutely hate Maybe us. Maybe a little envy. Maybe a little envy. You hear our voice and you go, oh, Scouse bin dipper. You're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's just standard. Yeah. It's just jealousy is all it is. It is. It's definitely jealousy. Do you know, do you know we're the boys, lad? That's what it is. Just like Boston, you know, they're the boys, so they're trying to say something about it. That's right. But I'll be honest, I don't really know much about Caitlin Chikagian or Manon Fjord. So I'll have to leave this one to you, John. This is, I'll put you in the hot seat. Yeah, well, I'm ready to go. So Manon Fjord has won nine consecutive fights, dropped her pro debut, and now has reeled off nine straight. She's perfect in the UFC, couple of finishes, last two wins by decision. But I got this betting line way off. I thought this would be a pick-em fight. Fjord is like a two-to-one favorite, and I think that speaks to 
The odds makers believing she is closer to her fighting prime than Caitlin Chukagian. The fact that Fjord is the more prolific finisher, right? Caitlin Chukagian, I think, might have double-digit UFC wins, but she's never had a finish in the UFC. So I think that that speaks to the betting line a little bit. But Caitlin Chukagian, in spots like this, usually dominates. Like, these fights aren't even usually close. When she, as the number one contender, is fighting somebody else in that top ten, usually she has her way. And in this particular fight, I think she has a good chance to use her grappling and her wrestling, and that has not been what we have seen from Caitlin Chukagian. She has worked very hard on those aspects of her game. She actually was promoted to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt this month, training with John Danaher and all those guys at Henzo Gracie's in New York and in the greater tri-state area. Her grappling's outstanding, and I think that's an advantage for her in this fight. I talked to her husband, who's also in her corner, Kyle Sermonara, and he said he hopes that Jiu-Jitsu is a part of this fight. But even if this is a kickboxing match, I think Chukagian is far more competitive than plus 175 suggests. So betting value on Chukagian. I'm excited to see Fjord fight live in person. I haven't had the chance to do that all that often. But again, very surprised at how wide the betting line was. I thought Chukagian would be closer to a pick as opposed to be plus 175 or so. Especially if she's number one and Fjord's number six. You know what I mean? That's it's crazy, isn't it? Normally, the higher-ranked person's the... But that's just something that you... When you look at this whole card, Makachev's rank lower and he's the favourite. Um, What's-his-face as well? Gamrot's rank lower and he's the favourite. You know, it's it, right. it's crazy. No, you're right. It's not something you yeah, see very often. Yeah, a lot of those fights are actually in that similar price range, too. Yeah. So, yeah, and, you know, and again, like, Mataj Gamrot, right? Like, he's 21-1. and one. He may not have the UFC credentials right now of Benil Dariush, but look at the body of work, as we mentioned. Look at what the man has done. You don't get favored against Benil Dariush on a seven-fight winning streak in the UFC at 155 pounds by accident. So we'll see how it plays out, but Dariush is ready to go. He brought his child to Abu Dhabi, which I think is crazy, but I guess the kid... Uh, survive the airplane flight i mean all these fighters bringing their kids on these international trips i just i don't i don't even invite my kids domestically i know i'm not competing but <laughs> my kids aren't invited when i'm going four hours away never mind 15 yeah and i haven't got any kids yet so i haven't got to worry about that yet john i just got to worry about getting the missus over wait there on that you wait but, as long as you can on that yeah Patty. i'm waiting a few years definitely but personally for me just before i ask you a few questions moving off from the card gamrot's 22 and oh he never lost that fight He's 22 and 0 right, for me. Right. Fair. No, that's fair. So, yeah, obviously you've been a commentator right, so what for else the... what you got for me? I was just about to say, you've been a commentator for like 11 years now. Like, did you ever see MMA exploding like this? Did you always see it happening? Perhaps not to this extent, right? But I left a, a fairly stable job at ESPN to join the UFC in 2011. And there were certainly people in my life at that time who said, you've been working as a broadcast journalist this whole time to get to ESPN. You finally barged the door down. You're in the building. Why are you leaving for the UFC right now? So the answer is because I believed in, in Dana White and the UFC and this sport to get to that requisite next level. I put my chips in the center of the table. I mean, I bet all in on the UFC. And part of it was because I was working as a boxing radio guy for years. And I didn't know really what mixed martial arts was. And then in 2007, my boxing radio show was invited to go cover an MMA event. And from that moment on, 
my whole vision changed. I mean, I walked out of that arena in Tunica, Mississippi that night thinking like, I don't even like boxing anymore. Like, look how much more exciting this sport is than boxing. Look at how much more this sport has to offer. All they do in boxing is hold, you know? So, yes, it was a bet on mixed martial arts for me. I don't know that I could have foreseen that they would get the ESPN deal and all the things that have happened for the UFC domestically. I couldn't have foreseen that necessarily. I always knew how big the sport was globally, but I didn't expect us to get this big, at least in North America, this quickly. So, um, yeah, I bet on the right guy, Dana, and I think I bet on the right sport. And uh, just trying to earn that seat, you know, every pay-per-view out, man. Yeah, you fully earned that seat. Don't be worrying about that. Crazy the way you said you went your first MMA show in 2007. I was 12. I didn't know what MMA was. (laughs) Right. See? Yeah. Well, right. And, you know, I'm like the older guy in the room now more often than not. And that wasn't the case when I started with the UFC. But I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, I was calling fights for the UFC before most of the roster made their amateur debut. So, um, yeah. I'm getting old, brother. I'm getting old. You're not getting old. You're not getting old. Don't be silly. You'll be in that seat for another 20 years. Definitely the way you call the fights, lad. It's the, the best little uh, so. the best little broadcast team you can get, lad. You, you, UDC, Thank Rogan, you, Bisbin and that. You're a flying. Can't wait for you to call Thank my you, next man. fight, you I can't know. tell you how much that means. Dude, I can't. It means a whole lot to us when you say that. Like, that means something to all of us, to a man to hear you say that so thank I'd you I'd also like Felder's great John Gooden's great you know what I mean Cruz also as you say you don't get a laugh out of him but he's great you know what I mean <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he can be a funny prick when we're not on the air but when we're on the air he's so focused on the fighting and he's just such a, an MMA mind that he just he, you know not too much time for fun and games but um, I love my guy Dom Cruz yeah he looks like a serious dude when he's on the comms like Serious. <laughs> oh, he's he great. Is, no doubt. <laughs> but yeah, we'll move on to the Ask Paddy segment, John. I have a little section where we let people know that you were going to come online. So I've uh, got a, a few questions off people. So let's see what they are. Uh, AlisDA43 says, Ask John what his favourite and least favourite parts are about being a twin. Oh, yeah, I didn't know he was a twin, John. And if he has the, yeah, the I power had an to. twin. If, if he has the power to rub the fame in his in Jason's face at family gatherings or holidays. Oh. oh, you know, he's my biggest supporter. He is honestly my biggest supporter, and he deserves a lot of credit for me being where I am. You know, whether it's a contract negotiation or a bad broadcast, he is always my number one source for all of those things. And I really feel like it is the greatest blessing in my life. It's sort of weird, like... Imagine to your audience if there was another Patty Pimblett walking the earth, right? Like when Joe Rogan met my twin brother, he freaked out, you know, because we are like monozygotic identical twins. We look the same. We sound the same. We act the same. We respond the same way. Our mannerisms are identical. We just started an NFL podcast together, and I can't even tell who's talking, you know? So, again, it's hard for our spouses, honestly, because of how close we are. And um, there's nobody happier for any of my success than him. So uh, I appreciate the question and uh, much love for my twin bro, to be sure. I'm just putting it out there now, Jason. We're definitely going to meet. Don't be coming up to me, tricking me like you're John. Know what I mean? Don't be doing all that, coming over, lad, and making me think it's, making me think it's John. Make yeah. sure you say it's you. Well, dude, 
<laughs> I'll tell you, Jason has hair down to his ass. He hasn't had a haircut in three years. So oh, yeah, at least you can tell you his apart then. You know what I mean? My dad's a twin, but he's not identical. Yeah. yeah. All right, so well, ne- those type of twins run in families, so maybe you and your girl will have twins. Oh, lad, I've already been speaking about this, John. My, my, my dad's a twin, and her nan is a twin. So it's, oh, prob- wow. it's so, probably yeah. going to happen. It's a good job it's but not me giving birth, wife, isn't yeah. it? Good job it's not well, coming out of me. Her to, but tell her you get two babies for one labor. She would take that That's any it. day of the week, you know? So that, You get two for the price of one. And then, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, two kids and then done. Call it a day. Yeah. I, I, I think I want three. I definitely don't want triplets, though. That, whoa, no. That would be oh. a nightmare. I don't know how you handle three newborns. I don't know how you do that. Oh yeah, there's a good question. Harry Jones asks, ask John what he thinks would be the most exciting matchup for, for me, either past, present or future. Oh gosh, at 155 pounds. Well, I'd like to certainly see Patty Pimblett against BJ Penn if you're talking past, present or future because I think both of you guys are, are five-tool players. You know, I feel like you and Sean O'Malley, people, because of the magnitude of your star power and your persona, let them keep sleeping on the skills, you know? Like, people don't think Sean O'Malley can grapple, and that's okay, you know? Like, let his opponents think that Sean O'Malley can't grapple. So, BJ Penn comes to mind. I mean, obviously, Kenny Florian is my podcast partner. I'd love to see you and Ken Flo scrap. I think you might actually have some advantages over my guy, Ken Flo. Um, yeah, but I'm dying to know who they're going to match you up with next, man, as are all the MMA matches here in Abu Dhabi. Even I'm dying to know who I'm getting matched with, know what I mean? Even I've heard whisper. I've even seen some yeah. some idiots on Twitter try and say, oh, he's fighting him. I'm not fighting no one until I sign a contract. There's whispers here, there, and everywhere, but until I sign a contract, I'm not fighting anyone. A lot of rumblings. A lot of rumblings out there. Because <laughs> they all want me, John. They all want me. But next question. They do. They in, do. It, insane HD. What does John Anik enjoy most about the sport besides being part of such a huge franchise? Probably the submission game because I think offensive submission games are sort of hard to come by these days, right? Like, if you look at UFC history and the submission frequency, it has gone down. My favorite way to see a fight end is by submission. And let's take Bilal Muhammad, who is competing this weekend against Sean Brady, right? Bilal is an outstanding wrestler and a very good grappler. But imagine if he had a signature choke, how much of a problem he would be. You know, Kamar Usman has one submission win despite the fact that he regularly gets the fight to the ground, gets dominant positions, but isn't necessarily able to put anybody away. So for me, I would say that that's my favorite thing about it is seeing guys sort of turn back the clock, win fights by submission, and just being able to do pay-per-views all around the world. You know, I haven't called a fight in the United Kingdom since 2013. And the thought that I might get to go there in March or April to call a Leon Edwards title fight is very exciting for me. Because our international pay-per-view audiences are just insane. So, yeah, to me, doing I, international I, I don't think that's going to come off. Is certainly, yeah. Well, we'll see. I think that uh, for me, I would say international pay-per-views and uh, and submission wins are probably the best part of the job. And uh, you know, there's no real worse part of the job other than being away from the kids. Um, that's just for. I was a homesick camper, so like it's hard to be away from my kids. But um, you know, I do the best I can. Yeah. No, what you just touched on it there. We didn't speak about the fight. Sean Brady versus Bar Muhammad. It's only just yeah, come to well, me then, but it's a prelim, right? Oh, is yeah. oh yeah, is that not even it's on the main card? And 
Yeah. Well, we're, we got a lot of depth here. You know, good problem to have. Crazy. But in terms of like heat being on a fight, it's always great as a fan, as a commentator, if there is legitimate heat on a fight. And Sean Brady and Bilal Muhammad like really don't like each other. And Bilal hasn't really had friction with an opponent like this before. So to see this side of Muhammad, you know, the Muslim talking trash and going at the city of Philadelphia, I think it's refreshing to hear. And Sean Brady, you know, felt like he was respectful calling out Muhammad. So he has taken issue with Bilal getting upset with him. So I'm really excited to see those two go at it. And uh, another interesting betting line, right? I mean, Bilal Muhammad is as UFC tested as it gets. He's fought everybody in the top 10. Sean Brady kind of just getting going, and yet he's about, you know, minus 150 betting favorites. So another interesting betting line for me. Yeah, it is. I actually agree with that one, though. I do think, personally, I think Sean's going to win. I think Sean's going to take take the dub there, to be honest. But I've got one more yeah. question here off Seeds, and it says, question for John Ampadi. I think you might have answered this before, though. What results has caused the biggest reaction from the Conversy team on a fight you have called or watched? So I would say it was Rose Namajunas' knockout of Ioana Janjacek to win the belt the first oh, time. Oh, yeah. And second only to when Rose knocked out Zhang Weili. And this isn't necessarily a comment about the strawweight division as a whole, but this isn't a heavyweight fight. So you feel like you're sitting down and you're settling in for a fight that's going to go longer than three minutes. And Ioana Janjacek, still to this day, is the greatest strawweight champion of all time, future UFC Hall of Famer, we knew she had had a bad weight cut, and we knew there were myriad issues that she was dealing with during the week. We also knew that Rose Namajunas was a very talented martial artist, but to see the division flip on a dime like that in three minutes, and DC's saying, Thug Rose, Thug Rose, I mean, that's that's probably the most memorable one. And then second was when she knocked out Zhang Wei Li. Again, Zhang Wei Li is one of the greatest athletes most of us have ever seen in an MMA setting. You feel like you're hunkering down for a fight that'll go 15, 20 minutes, and the next thing you know, it's over. Absolutely crazy. Those two results produced by by the former champ, Thug Rose. Yeah, for me, it's either going to be Tony Chandler because Tony was doing so well in the first round. And then when Chandler right. caught him with that kick, it was just crazy. And then Derek Lewis versus Volkov because that was just crazy. Last 10 seconds getting beat up for three yep. rounds and just lands an overhand ridiculous that man has some power I should have mentioned that one yeah I should have mentioned Derek Lewis and Alexander Volkov that's that's a good shout out by you and then I believe there was Darren Elkins and Mursad Bektich was another comeback yeah when Darren he got Elkins beat up for two rounds as usual if that dude is like a, a, a human being then what am I right like I'm not I'm just not made <laughs> of the stuff that Darren Elkins is made of you know just and then not. I'm just sorry, thinking honey, of one more kids. what was sorry, it you don't the, have Darren Elkins' DNA when Kerry and Zombie got elbowed, that's another one that was ridiculous. That was yep. just, wow. Yep, I wasn't there, but absolutely. Yeah, yeah, Rodriguez. Yeah, and then, you know, we had a fight in Brisbane, Australia with uh, Mark Hunt and Antonio Bigfoot Silva that still one to this day is regarded ever. as one of the greatest heavyweight fights of all time. And I just remember it was like early morning in Australia and Kenny Florian and I are walking out of the arena and just said to ourselves, like, I hope everybody in the States was watching this little UFC fight night because that's the best heavyweight fight I've ever seen. Yeah, unbelievable. But as we said, John, you're out there in Abu Dhabi, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. I want to thank you for coming on with me. But tell everyone where to find you on social media, your podcast, stuff like that. Let everyone know, get it out there. Well, thank you, buddy. You know you'll always have a big fan in me. When Patty Pimblett calls, you take that.
baseball. So thank you for having me. Um, Anakin Florian podcast live every Monday. So we've been going strong. It'll be eight years in April. So we thank everybody for the support and uh, look forward to seeing you on the road, man, hopefully in Las Vegas in December. But thank you guys for having me and uh, happy to jump on any time with you boys. Yeah, I will 100% be with you in Vegas. Like, I'm going to be getting there a little bit early as well to acclimatize properly. So I'll hopefully get to bump into everyone because I think I'm going to try and get there about two weeks early, if not at least 10 days. So I I cannot wait to get to Vegas and beat someone up in Nevada. See you in the desert, Patty Pimblett. We can't wait. Thank you very much for your time, John. It's been an absolute pleasure. There's your special episode, The Fame. Thank you for, for watching. Like, comment, subscribe. And that's it. Peace out.